Well, good morning, everyone. It's very, very nice to be with you here, and we want to thank Graham for his very kind invitation and also for the welcome we've already received. Uh, I had the privilege of being with you, but this time last year I was here, and uh, I, as many of you know, I took over from Pauline, Miss Pauline English. And uh, God willing, I'll see her tomorrow. We have a funeral to attend to in, down in Swindon. So we're, I'm down there in the morning and then I'm back up in Glasgow on Tuesday again. So we'd value your prayers. And uh, I know Va- uh, Pauline would still appreciate your prayers as she still is involved in meetings. I don't think she'll ever stop doing meetings. Uh, she's just a bit of a goer. Uh, so we're thankful to God for the gifts and abilities that God has given to her. I intimated to you there this morning very quickly that I've been had the privilege of being in Argentina and also in Uruguay in the summer. We had a work trip out there in the summer. Uh, we had 10 of us all together went to Argentina just outside about three hours south, roughly south of Buenos Aires and, uh, in Argentina. And then we had a, we have a, we're building a camp center there. God willing, we're going to take another, hopefully take another work trip back next year. And if any of you men or ladies would like to come and join that work trip, we'd be glad to have you. Uh, we had three women, uh, we had se- there were seven, uh, sorry, five men and three women, and then my wife and myself, which made up the ten, and of those three women, there wasn't one of them interested in working in the kitchen for two weeks. They wanted to get out onto the site and cut wire, do whatever had to be done, sweep up, you name it, they weren't there to be working in the kitchen, they were there to be, and the reality is that you can't, you can't work if you're not sure fed, uh, at least that's how it works where I come from anyway, I don't know what you school from Scotland like, but uh, you, you can try and work without the food, but it only goes for so long, but you need the food to be able to maintain the work. But I had the privilege of being in Chile in January, and and it was a, a, a so this year has been a bit of a travelling time, and not be as busy next year, and, and travelling so many miles, but I don't know what you think of uh, whenever you look at the world, and see the world as it is, and I don't know what you imagine, because really what you see before you this morning is different countries, and not just different countries, but you get different cultures. Like even this morning, there's different cultures amongst us today. Not just different cultures, you look at the world, but there's also different communities. Because the reality is there's all different peoples and different tribes and different tongues. Of whom Revelation speaks of and says there's going to come a day when we stand before God and there'll be people from every nation, every tongue and every tribe and every language. People who stand before the throne. But whenever you look at the world, really what you get is there's a population we're told they have 7.2 billion people in the world. That's what there is in population. And where this 7.2 billion of a population is concerned, Jesus gave us one simple command where this 7.2 billion were concerned. In Matthew's Gospel, he said these words, Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and though I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And the, picture, the photographs I'm going to show you this morning is of individuals who have simply seen that command from God as something that they can apply into their lives. And they have left home and they've left the comforts of home and they've travelled to the land of Chile of which I speak about. A country which most likely you've heard of in very frequent times because with Pauline being here and that was a country to this day that lies very much close to her heart. As they had the, we work, as you know, with the Gospel Mission of South America. We work in these three countries of Chile, Argentina, and Uruguay in South America. And the population there in South America today is 63.1 million people. Now, compared to 7.2 billion, 63 million is a very small number. But yet there are 63 million, 63.1 million people that have got a soul that's going to live for all of eternity. 
And these 63.1 million people need to be reached for the good news of the gospel. And so it's our prayer that God will raise up others that will go in Christ's name. Mr. Strong was our founder. He left home in 1923 along with his family in New York and headed to Chile uh, to work among the soldiers. And he continued there for a thir- further 37 years. And he would die in the country of Chile uh, serving the Lord on a tree and giving out gospel tracts. I had the privilege of going to Chile on the 14th of January to 11th of February and I'm going to give you one simple bit of advice men, never leave your wife for a month, it's never a great thing to go away and leave your wife at home with two dogs uh, to look after all the things in the house without you being about well I, had, I was away for a month, it wasn't that anybody asked me to go for a month, it's just I felt that as we're flying out that far uh, we want to try and make the trip count and we want to try and see as much as possible while we were there, so we arrived in, in, in Santiago and we had the privilege of meeting up with our present missionary family that are serving the Lord presently in Chile our present director up to the top left of the picture uh, field director Andy and Colette Thompson they direct the whole field of Chile along with other missionaries here that you see some are involved in Bible Institute some are involved in camp center ministry others are involved in one to one evangelism but primarily the whole purpose of GMSA is planting evangelical Bible believing churches in the countries of South America these countries in South America so undoubtedly I would say to you I had the privilege whenever I was in Santiago just to do a little bit of sightseeing and I went up to a place which is called St. Christopher's, Christopher's Hill in the very middle of Santiago and really what you get is you've got really a, a massive statue or a massive statement along, along with a massive statue in the very heart of the city it's a statue of Mary and really what it's teaching the people of Santiago and the people of Chile if they come to the main capital is that this is their deliverer, Mary herself. Now you know in the book of Genesis God said that he would send a deliverer and that deliverer would, he would bruise Satan's head and Satan would bruise his heel. Genesis we would take that truth. Well on this hill on top of, this is a massive statue right here in this carving out of masses out of stone is the serpent's head. And so really what Rome is teaching the people today and has been for years is that you look to this lady because she is going to be, she is God's deliverer. It's through her you can get to God. And so literally people have been deceived. And it's to these people to whom, God willing, with the help of the Lord, we want to reach with the gospel of Christ. There are 7 million people in Santiago City alone. It's a vast amount of people, predominantly Roman Catholic, and yet there's a small percentage, 15% would be evangelical. And of that evangelical, don't be deceived into thinking that they're all Bible-believing, fundamental uh, Christians. And within that, there's a whole lots of things that are involved, whereby people, even the wonder evangelicalism, are being deceived. There's what's known in South America as the health, wealth and prosperity gospel. You name it and claim it. And sadly, what it has done is it has destroyed many people's lives. People are being fleeced of their money every Sunday. And sadly being deceived that that's not at all what the scriptures teach but I looked over this city of Santiago from St. Christopher's Hill and really what you get is you get streets and, and tower blocks and homes and as far as your eye can see folks as far as your eye can see there's just like houses upon houses upon houses 7 million people and there were 3 questions that came to me as I looked over this city and the first question was how many of them have heard now that's always a very important question. 
Because even as you walk out of your door this morning into this community, there's a people here, and the question is how many of them have heard the good news? Well, we stood on top of this hill, and I asked myself, how many of this seven million have heard the gospel? How many of them have, have believed, or how many of them have accepted the gospel? And the third challenge really comes to us is, how many would be willing to go? Because the reality is that these people need to hear the gospel. It says, how shall they hear without a preacher? That's what the scripture says. How shall they hear without a preacher? Scripture says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing not by singing, and not by good works, or not by good deeds, but hearing by the word of God, says the word of God. And so the question, the challenge that came to us, and the challenge that came to me as I stood on top of this hill was, I wonder, if God were to say to me, Nigel, I want you to leave Ireland, I want you to leave the UK, I want you to learn Spanish. Now I do, I know very little Spanish. Hola. Uh, and and uh, I, I, I one time I know a lady is a senorita, uh, but also uh, there's another name for a lady. Uh, but I call there was these bunch of ladies together, and I don't know, I can't remember what the proper name was, but I called them llamas, uh, and a llama is not really a lady. Uh, dama, dam, damas, and I called them llamas, and so my Spanish is not great at all by any means. So the girl, the young lady, smiled at me just the way you're smiling. So, but but the challenge came me was if God asked me to go would I be willing to go and I suppose the challenge comes to all of us it's not that God says I want you to go the question is are we would be willing to go would we be willing to leave our comfort would we be willing to leave our culture would we be willing to go to a land that really you don't hear an awful lot about but yet there's a great need within this country I, as I say we had our council meetings where Pauline was there and Sheila from uh, Glasgow a uh, friend of Pauline's we went down to Leek and Ray which is our camp centre which is 10 hours south of Santiago with the privilege of being there and it was an opportunity on our camp centre just to learn it's situated on a beautiful lake down in the south of, of the down, down about uh, say two thirds down into, uh, into Chile itself and uh, I say at the evening time it's beautifully tranquil and it's very peaceful and very pretty but it's a very very needy camp centre, we have need a lot of help need a lot of work done on it these little dorms, these little houses these little wooden sheds I'm going to call them are where our campers would sleep and where our missionaries sleep it's very very basic, these little dorms that you will see here were all built by missionary families down through the years and this is where they came for their missionary retreat we didn't have the money to build a flamboyant building so they built these little little garden sheds you could call them because that's literally all they are and there's old bunk beds that are extremely basic now there's air conditioning in it so don't be thinking that you'll go there and get roasted out it just happens to be there needs to be air for the air conditioning to work because the air comes up through the floorboards and if you stand close enough you get a good draft and that's how you get your air conditioning there's no actual switch that you switch on no machine, it just holes in the floor and blows a draft up through and so you're hoping that it's going to be a good draft but our centre itself is very basic but it's there for a purpose it's not there, we're not there simply to have flamboyant buildings we're there as part of a ministry and this centre is used for both children's camps and youth camps for retreats but also where pastors retreats where our pastors will come an opportunity for them just to fellowship together and the couple that are involved there Dan and Liz Thompson their heart is very much to see this centre used primarily to see the church of, and the church of God built in South America whenever I was there these are our present missionaries you'll recognise this one lady here there's Pauline I'm sorry for those of you over to my left here maybe not see it very well but this young couple here just down here this young couple Mark 
and Rebecca Perry, they have just applied for our work and they have been accepted and they're now on, on presently they're doing deputation. They pastored a little church, he's an assistant pastor, and he feels that God has called him up to Antifagasca in the very north of Chile, and that's where he's gonna they're gonna be based in the church planting ministry, and that will be God willing whenever they've raised their support and gone off to language school and so forth. But this was our mission family in January. While I was there, we, were, we met different people. I met some young people. And while I was there, I noticed about them there was an opportunity and a, and a willingness to serve the Lord. And serve the Lord in some of the most menial tasks. These young people gave up two weeks of their time to serve tables. To clean tables. To sweep the floor. To mop the floor. To help in the kitchen. Just so that our missionaries, as they came along, that they would have an opportunity for rest and an opportunity just to sit and to minister, be ministered onto. And so I noticed among these young people, some of them were going on as school teachers, some of them were going on as accountants, but were willing to give up two weeks of their time just to come and serve our missionaries. And while we were there, our missionaries opportunity for some field council meetings and the opportunity for them to sit and to listen, and also an opportunity for them to learn. We had evening meetings when our missionaries can come along and be encouraging the word all year they're giving out and whether it be into one to one situations or whether it be into church situations whether it be into camp ministry and so it's an opportunity for them to sit and to receive now you know in the land of Israel there's a, there's a sea which is called the Dead Sea and there's only one reason why it's dead now there's nothing lives in the Dead Sea but yet the Dead Sea is receiving all the time it's fresh water coming to the Red Sea, and you'd think if there's fresh water coming in, why is it not still? Why is there something not life? The reason why there's no life in the Red Sea because there's no outlet. The water comes in and it remains in the Red Sea. There's no, it doesn't change, so it's receiving, but it's not given. So what happens? That, that which it receives, literally, it just dies because it's not giving out. And in our lives, we can become a bit like the Red Sea. We come to church and we can be receiving. But if we're not giving out at the other end, if we're not using what God has given us to share with others, then sadly we can become dead and stagnant in our hearts. Just become very much just going through the motions. No real fire in our belly. No real enthusiasm to reach the lost. And so it's our opportunity for our missionaries, as they have been given, to now receive. Well, whenever I was there, I had the privilege of meeting the Mapuche tribe. I don't know how much you know, or maybe if you know anything at all about this tribal group. There are 77th... 77,000 uh, individuals that would be, uh, according to statistics back in 2002, are identified with the Mapuche tribe. There are nine tribes in all in the country of Chile alone, nine tribal groups, which population of 695,000. This lady here that you see, this is, this is one means of her making ends meet. I don't know if you ladies are into sewing or knitting. Uh, she rears her own sheep and she, this is her own wool. This would be a very, most likely quite a common thing. I'm not sure how common it is in Argentina, but a very common thing out in the countryside in Argentina. This is a particular tribal group that you get here. They identify themselves, and then they, what they do is they'll put they'll put their little logo sort of sewn into it, so they know whenever this is going around the community, people just know by the by the by the stitching, by the type, by the the, the way it's designed, who which group they're from. I give this lady this lady here. I give her thirty-five thousand. Now, don't be getting carried away now. I know I'm from Northern Ireland, but I'm not just as generous as the Scottish yet. But uh, I give her 35,000 pesos for this rug. This rug cost me about 26, 27 pounds sterling. It took her 11 days to make this now. 11 days. 
for 27 quid. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm telling you, if you worked back home, you could hardly work, you couldn't get a man to work for one day. Well, you wouldn't expect a man to work for one day for 27 pounds. He couldn't live in our culture. But these people are living very, very basic lives. And I bought this and I thought, uh, and I thought to myself, I want to bring something home to the people back home. And, and, and you know, whenever I was there, I, I realised they live very, very basic lives. A few years ago I built a garage back home where I live in Tubbermore with the purpose of putting a, garage, a car into the garage. But sometimes, ladies, it doesn't always work out that way. There's other things that are more important than putting the car in the garage. Like a man needs his tools. He needs somewhere to work. He can't have a car cluttering up a garage. Like, I mean, that's a really a silly thing to build a garage for. But setting that, setting that all aside, I put a study on the top of the garage. And on the top of the garage, I, I, I must admit, I was somewhat embarrassed because my garage is like a mansion compared to their home but this is just how they live they live exceptionally basic lives this was her parents home and then this is their home this is where they live presently and there's presently there within this within the the, the Mapuche people they're, they're they're involved in spiritism and myths so much so that there's a revival among the Bupuchi people, but not a revival that we would call a spiritual revival, but a revival of these old traditions. Just two years ago, within this particular tribal group, there was a young girl of 16 was initiated as the local witch doctor, which is known as the Micaiah. 16 years of age. That will be her role for the rest of her life. I was in a service about three Sundays ago, and in the church that morning, there might have been the guts of 200, maybe 250 people there. And I asked from the pulpit, I said, tell me, is there any young ladies here at 18 years of age? And there was one young girl put up her hand. I said, if you had been living in Chile, and you had been around, and your family had been there, most likely you could have been the witch doctor today, and would have been in that role for two years. Two years. Back in 1960, it stated that there was a, the local Mackay, the local witch doctor lady, threw a young lad into the river to his death in the means of solving an issue, solving a problem. And it was heartbreaking. And I'm thinking to myself, how many of these people have heard the gospel? Many of these people have been reached. Uh, they, as I say, they live exceptionally basic lives. Just in case you're wondering what that, you not need too many clues to figure out what that wee cupboard, wee hole, that wee places for there. That is their their toilet facilities. Just in case you're wondering, so that's how basic it is. Just a wee tin shack, they go up the back of the head, more or less up the back of the hedge. But whenever I was there, this lady here has come to save in faith in Christ. This lady I met. And uh, she, she literally lives where this photograph here is. Our camp centre is just roughly where that red dot is. And she was living up on top of the hill. And every day whenever her camp is on, the bell is rung during the meeting time. And it rings up the valley. And this lady heard the bell ringing on regular intervals. Certain times of the year the bell rang twice a day. And she couldn't figure out what this bell was ringing for. Well, uh, you don't need to be a woman to be nosy. I mean, anybody can be nosy. I, I'm nosy at times. Uh, but So she went down to hear where the bell was. And as she went down, she realized she saw all these people inside this, like a wooden shed, listening to this man preaching. And as she listened, she realized that this man was speaking just to her, even though she was outside. And she heard the gospel, and she trusted the Savior. And now she knows him, and she's walking with him, and a desire to follow him. All because of a bell ringing. 
And when she followed the sound of the bell, all because of the word that was being preached, she come to saving faith. I say they live very basic lives. That morning I was there, they, cut, they, they actually slaughtered a sheep. They skinned it. And this was them that had gutted it out. And they had a big hand saw and they're just cutting it down the centre. And they were going to eat it for tea that evening. Very, they don't go to the butcher. It's just how they live. Very, very basic lives. But ladies and gentlemen, this morning, can I say this to you? Three questions hit me where these people were concerned. How many of them have heard? There we know of numbers of individuals who have trusted the Lord, but there are at least 70,000 Mapuche people that need to be reached with the gospel. There are at least over 650,000 tribal people in South America that need to be reached with the gospel. And dear people, if they're not reached... One day, if they leave this scene of time, they will perish for all of eternity. Just like the same people outside this door, if they're not reached and told and they don't respond to that word, sadly they're going to perish. But the challenge that came to me was, how many have heard? How many have accepted? We thank the Lord for those who have trusted, but we realize there are many more that still need to accept and need to trust. But the challenge came to me was, would I be willing to go? And I have to confess, I must admit, I saw myself as some way figuring out, how could I get my two dogs and my wife moved to Chile to reach these people with the gospel? wonder, could I do this for the Lord? But the Lord said, I'm not asking you to go, Nigel. I'm just asking you to tell other people that God might raise up someone even from the UK to go to reach these folk with the good news of the gospel. I'm not sure if this next wee slide is going to work, but just give me two wee ticks, because from South America, whenever I was there, whenever I was there, I had, we, our missionaries came together, and, and they, had a, they had a photograph shot, and I know for some of you folk, some of you folk have prayed for the work of GMSA, not just in over these past couple of years, but for a long time you've prayed. And on that basis, let me see if this is going to work or not. Our missions would just say one thing to you. And so, this morning, uh, I would just say to you, if you have been praying for our missionaries, they would say to you, thank you for your prayers. And gracias. Because it means an awful lot to them. It's lonely at times, it's difficult, it's hard. Just like all church life and church work at times, it can become monotonous and go through the motions. And sometimes, unless we're constantly walking with the Lord, sometimes we can become very dry. Very dry. And sometimes very hard. Because of experiences that we encounter in ministry. But on behalf of our missionaries... We want to say a very big thank you. Can I just say to you, do remember there's a wee bit of literature here on the table. I know some of you might have got our latest prayer news, but or our last prayer news, but if you haven't, pick it up. If you'd like to receive news on a regular basis, we just would like you to pick up some, write your name on here, and this wee bit of paper up beside the photograph, or beside the flowers. And then there's a wee envelope for, every, uh, for one for every family. Take it home with you. There's a wee bit of literature in there. Browse at it at your own time. But we really would, we really would value your prayers, Kara.
Trish and I as we work throughout the UK and, and try and make this work known and we trust that the Lord will bless you. Thank you for this wee opportunity. We're going to read together from the book of Isaiah. Graham, what am I like for time? What time do you finish? That's grand, no bother. Well, let me see if I can get just share a wee thought from this book. Isaiah chapter 6 and... Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, if you don't mind. And uh, let me just leave with you. We thought around this portion of scripture. Isaiah 6. It says these words, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up on his tree and filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Let's just bow for a short prayer. We say thank you this morning our loving Father for your goodness for your love and your care toward us. We take this opportunity today Lord just to pray in these few moments as we bring our service to a close that you'll speak into our hearts and you'll exalt your name. In Jesus name we ask it. Amen. The year was 1963 and the date was the 28th of August and there's a man called, well, he's then known as the then known as Martin Luther King. We now know him as the late Martin Luther King. He stood before a vast congregation of people and he said very simply, he said, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day, this dream that I see is that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And in many ways, whatever you might think of Martin Luther King, one thing you, can't dis- you cannot dispute is that Martin Luther King was a visionary. He was a man of vision. He was a man who saw, he, he saw how he'd like to see the future. And for him, it was the fact that it wouldn't matter what color a man's skin was, it's not about his color of his skin, it's about the fact that that man is a man made in the image of God. And a man who desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. There's a man called Chuck Swindle. And Chuck Swindle said these words very simply. He said, vision is essential for survival. He said, it's sparked by faith, sustained by hope. Sparked by imagination. Uh, spawned by faith, sustained by hope. Sparked by imagination. Strengthened by enthusiasm. It is greater than a sight and deeper than a dream. Broader than an idea. It encompasses vast feasts outside the realm of the predictable, the safe and expected. No wonder we perish without it. Now you might say, well where does vision come in compared to with Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9? Well I want to say to you dear folk, on day what you get here in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 is that Isaiah gets a vision. And that vision is of the Lord. Now there are people in scripture who have had visions. You remember Joseph had visions and dreams. He had a dream. And he saw in that dream this vision of, of, do you remember the cows, the fat cows being eaten by the thin cows. And it spoke to him about the time whenever there would be a great famine for seven years in the land. 
But here there was this man, Isaiah, and he receives this vision of the Lord. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, he says, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up on his tree and filled the temple. Now I'm not sure what, what you consider whenever you think about the book of Isaiah, and especially ch- verse 1 of chapter 6. But so often as we read through our Bibles, so often we are mindful to consider and to think that, that ultimately we just cons- uh, assume or take for granted. Well, maybe should I say it more personally? I assume, I take for granted, whenever I move from one chapter to the next chapter, that God is just constantly speaking to that generation, to that people. But in truth, good people, there are periods of time we don't realize that even between chapters there's gaps. If you move from books, like for example the last book of the Old Testament which we know is the book of Malachi, into the first book of the New Testament which is the book of Matthew, we know that there was this gap period of 400 years when God would never ever speak. Heaven would be silent. But sometimes when we open our Bibles and we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we just automatically assume that God is all, there's just this constant flow of, of man speaking with God and God speaking with man. And that's not always the case. And so what I think here in the book of Isaiah, it says in the year that King Isaiah died, I think, in my heart, I think there's every possibility there was a short gap. Now, I'm not saying there was a day or a week or a month or even a year, but I'm just thinking there's this possibility in the year the king Isaiah dies, God gives Isaiah time to think, time to consider, time to ponder. And in that time to consider and to ponder and think, it's just to help Isaiah to realize what's really important in life. Now, the King Isaiah, for any of you men who are theologians, or ladies for that matter who are theologians, and do any Bibles, do a little bit of Bible study, you will know that King Isaiah was an exceptionally good king to Israel. He reigned, I think it was something like for, for 52 years. And under his rule, under his domain, Israel prospered. Israel really got great liberties, great freedom. They were really just sort of given a free hand. And under Uzziah, they were literally, they were cared for greatly. But then Isaiah had troubled waters. And the reason why I said it is because this good king has died. And the reality is that we're told in scripture, one day every one of us will die. Every one of us. I don't know if you ever go we dander around a graveyard. Uh, maybe you do, I'm not sure. But I was in, back home one time. and uh, I, uh, Sort of one of those spiritual heroes in my early Christian life was a man called W.P. Nicholson. You might not have heard of him in, in Glasgow. But if, you have ever, if you're a good reader, there's a book which is called Tornado in the Pulpit. And you should read his book. If for no other reason it will get you a smile in your face. He was quite a character. He was quite a character. Let me just give you a little, one little illustration of what happened. He used to do these gospel campaigns. He was a Presbyterian, but he was a sort of a Presbyterian with a very small P. And, uh, uh, and one night there was all this massive big church building was full of people. And there was these couple of ladies and they were wearing like dark clothes, like black clothes. And there was this other lady and she came in and she was very brightly dressed. So there was a wee seat just beside the two ladies in dark clothes. And he pointed out and he says, you two old crows, you move over and let the canary in. And that was just how he was. That was just the type of him. That was his character. That was just... But, it, but if you read his book, you will see he was a heart with a vision, a real desire for souls. 
You mean his words maybe sometimes were weren't just eloquent, but the fact was you, God used them greatly for the, God, the salvation of many souls, many souls. But here I want to say to you, good people, here, here was this good king, and he has died. And so Israel had some certain waters. Isaiah had some certain waters. Because the question that comes to Isaiah's mind, what I think is, what will happen to Israel? Now Israel was, Isaiah was very much like a, he was God's mouthpiece to Israel. He was like Israel's pastor. And he was like the man that was looking out for the spiritual well-being of this people. He cared for them. They meant something to him. It's like whenever you meet a pastor in your life, someone who comes alongside to pastor you, to shepherd you, it's not about them. It's about them trying to minister to you. Someone you can go to and someone you can share with. And so for Israel, for Isaiah, he was now greatly concerned, greatly burdened. What's going to happen to Israel? What's going to happen to their future? What happens if another king comes and he's hard on Israel. What happens if he's like Pharaoh of old and he drives them into the ground? What if not just does he make them to get them to make the brick, but then he removes all the materials to make the brick and gets them to go and search for the materials and make the same amount of bricks in the exact same amount of time? Literally make their lives hell on earth. And so here's this burden that Isaiah has. Isaiah has to learn a very important lesson. And that lesson, good people, I'm learning every single day. You know what the lesson is? You know what the lesson that Isaiah had to learn? Isaiah, get your eyes of people and keep your eyes on God. See, for 52 years, everything was sort of was smooth pathway. Plain sail. It's not to say there wasn't ripples, not to say there wasn't days of difficulty, but mainly, over the main story of the whole story during King Uzziah's reign, there was this sort of a smooth pathway for Israel. They had no trouble from the king, they didn't give the king any trouble in return, and then they prospered. But his reign is now finished. What will happen when this next king comes? Just over two years ago, uh, I stepped out of the pastorate, really not knowing what my future held. And my wife and I, we, we then, at that stage, we lived in a manse or vicarage. I don't know what, I'm not sure what the, what do you just call it in a manse? So I had a manse, uh, not just did I have a wage, but then I had a manse that was all, everything was paid for, the electric, the telephone, the oil, the heating, the rates, you name it. So really I had financially, it's not that I had loads of money, but they cared for us very, they cared for us well from that end. But whenever I had in my resignation feeling that my time was finished, I couldn't take that manse with me. And I couldn't take all those privileges with me. So whenever I walked away from that role, I walked away from all those privileges and I walked away from a salary. And I really didn't know how we were going to make ends meet. So my wife, Kiaris, my wife Kiaris, she's a Yorkshire woman, but don't hold that against her now. Don't hold that against her. Uh, I had to go to England for a woman. Uh, it's a terrible thing, isn't it, to have to go to England? All places. But anyway. Uh, but I met her in Scotland, so that's a good thing. Uh, but uh, my wife said to me, Nigel, don't you, we're, not, we're not going to worry about what we're going to eat. Because at the end of the day, we can always eat beans and toast. Do you eat beans and toast in Scotland, do you? Well, at the end of the day, folks, there's something that you could be eating worse. 
there are people in the world today and they would just love to have a slice of toast and a tin of beans on top of it so she says to me we can survive in beans and toast if things get that bad she's still at a wee part time job in a special needs school and so we had a wee bit of income coming in and then I, I tried to use my hands wherever possible so if it was putting up a fence or if it was putting down a floor wherever I got a wee bit of work I just took it I still did a wee bit of lay preaching but I, I had nothing we had nothing concrete We'd not, we couldn't say well at the 25th of this month my wage shackle will be coming in because this wasn't going to come in till one day I was walking out of the back of the house and out the back of the house we have an oil tank and it takes the oil in the tank to make the heating to work <coughs> now do you have oil tanks in Scotland or do you work gas you have oil tanks well my problem is my oil doesn't my machine burner doesn't work unless there's oil in the tank you have to have the oil in the tank for the burner to work it's one of those things it's like pattern the car if you have no pattern in the car you can't go anywhere and I knew the oil was getting low and I was sort of puzzled and I was asking myself uh, this question came in as I walked out the back of the house one day Charis was at work and, uh, she, and very simply this thought came in what, what about the oil in that tank and you haven't got the money to put oil in the tank how are you going to survive how are you going to keep your house warm how are you going to keep your wife warm and for a minute or two I was panicking I was literally anxious do you ever be anxious do you ever panic ever fret well I was panicked and I was fretting a little and as I walked on around the garden I, 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 it wasn't as if God this, I had this great voice from heaven it didn't happen that way but it was as if God just spoke into my heart and said Nigel have I not cared for you in the past have I not provided for you in the past and if I've cared for you and provided for you in the past what makes you think I will not care for you and provide for you in the present and the future? Nigel, trust me. And a split second I realized I need to get me eyes of the situation and get me eyes on God. And I don't know this morning as you come to church what this past week has been like for you. I don't know what this past month has been like for you. But I am well aware, although I only pastor a church for six years, I am well aware that I can hide and people can hide an awful lot behind a smile. And you can come to church and you can make things look as if everything's rosy in the garden. And yet, man, it's a different story. Because you're like the, maybe you feel like a bit like the duck in the water. And it looks as if she's just going so casually she's just cruising across the top of the lake but if he looked underneath the wee legs are just paddling, paddling like belly just to keep her going and maybe on the top it looks as if everything's grand but underneath you're struggling underneath you're just struggling to keep your head above water maybe there's been a job situation maybe it's a financial situation maybe it's a health situation some news and this whatever this thing is it's, it's, you see the problem and you can't see anything else but the problem you see the mountain and you can't see any way through the mountain you see the valley and you just can't see any way across the valley and God would say to us this morning just as he said to Isaiah 
I'm still in control. Keep your eyes on me. And trust me with all your heart. It's easy to say, isn't it? Man, I have learned it's so easy to say to trust in God. But the sad thing is, so often we rely on the flesh and we fall flat on our faces. And we try and pull ourselves back up and we fall on our faces again. And God says this, why not trust me? Why not just leave this with me? And why not just keep your eyes on me? Because I'm in control. My time is gone. But I do want to thank you very much for your patience. I hope I haven't taken too much liberty or taken too much of your time. But on, on, on behalf of the work of GMSA, Gospel Mission of South America, we want to thank you for your ongoing prayers. We mean that now, with all our heart. And please, if you'd like to pray for our missionaries on a regular basis, and you'd like to receive our meal, mailing slots, now they don't come where we don't bombard your post, your, your letterbox with mail, nor neither do we beg for money. As a mission, we're trusting God to meet our needs. And if God touched your heart to give the work, well, we thank the Lord for you, but we'll not be begging off you. And we'll not be bombarding you with stuff. But we are, what we are pleading with you for is, would you stand with our missionaries? Would you be willing to take them in your heart and pray for them? And we'll try and keep you as best informed as we can. Take our email, put your name, address, or email. And the only thing I want to say to you is, don't write like your doctor. Preferably write in a way that you can read it. Uh, the amount of people that write their names in these things, and you'd think that they'd gone through a degree to be a doctor and never made it. To the, you ever watch the doctors, he writes in the... You don't know how on earth does a chemist ever make the thing out. So please do write on there. Take a wee envelope with you. But God bless you. Graham, thank you very much. And the Lord bless you.